What's going on guys? Welcome back to Blood, Sweat and Gear with Skip Hill, Andrew Berry, I'm Scott McNally. All of our programming is brought to you by you, the awesome people at Patreon. Thank you everybody who's jumping in and taking part to help support the programming because YouTube's not. Uh, well, they are kind of sometimes when they decide to. We're also brought to you by True Nutrition. Uh, you can use our code THINK over at truenutrition.com. You can get some high-quality third-party tested supplements over there. Uh, if you're in the UK, you can shop with Strom Sports Nutrition for some good health supplements, really good blends, Support Max. That's one I suggest you check out if you're on cycle especially. And, of course, um, go to supplementsource.ca for our Canadians. Uh, I saw the uh, granite recovery product there. One of our listeners sent it to me for like 15 bucks because it was like a what? closeout deal. Yeah. So if you're in Canada, you can get a deal over there. Otherwise, you know what? You can shop with uh, uh, granite here in the U.S. and use Andrew's code. What is it? Very 10. Very 10. All right. Mm -hmm. So anyway, we're going to start out with a bunch of stuff, guys. If you want to take part in the next show. Let me encourage you to comment below. We'll take your questions then. After this episode, we're going to need a bunch of questions. Uh, today, we're going to start out talking about a, a topic uh, Skip has. This is something Andrew wanted to bring up. So we're going to drag up some coaching secrets from Skip. Uh, secrets. Something to do with pulling out the carbs from your, pre, your pre-workout meal. I feel like there's a Bible out there for bodybuilding dieting. <laughs> And that is the last that's on the list of things. The first thing you don't do. <laughs> Tell us about it. Add that. Yeah. Add that to the list of things that I'm not supposed to do or we're not supposed to do. Uh, pre Everybody wants carbs. Everybody has always wanted carbs, right? Prior yeah. to training. Intra, I think is a little bit different. So I don't want anybody to, they may listen. We're talking about carbs pre-workout and they're thinking, oh, they must think intras. But I think it's a completely different issue um, because of the depletion is going on you're replenishing very very quickly uh, same with EAA's intra two totally different animal my argument has always been that the meal prior to training doesn't need to be heavy on carbs for a couple reasons number one in my own experience I just don't function as well in the gym when it, when I say heavy I don't mean you know 150 grams of carbs but I, for myself speaking for myself to give some numbers for perspective i don't want even 50 grams of carbs or 60 grams of carbs prior to training i focus more on protein and fat at that there might be some carbs i'm not just trying to go keto and anti-carb okay. and i can't have any carbs in me what I'm saying is I don't feel like I need this bolus of carbs prior to training because it's going to help me to increase intensity, help me to, <clears throat> excuse me, be stronger uh, or anything like that. Plus, we all know that digestion takes place not in 15 or 20 minutes, but over the next few hours. So that needs to be factored in as well. I They get in the way for me. They, they distend me. They kind of bog me down. I just don't feel as good. And the premise is, is pretty much this simple. The fuel used while you're training for anaerobic exercise, which is weight training, is glycogen. That's the primary, that's how you get a pump. So circulating, I don't feel, circulating blood glucose levels need to be high going in. In fact, I think it's detrimental for those people who, to even though there's a hundred different ways for, you know, there's individual components, there's different methods. That's fine. I'm speaking for myself and my experience. 
that's why I don't agree with taking in high glycemic carbs or uh. um, even, you know, shitty carbs prior to training. And yet I do think they're great post-training, which is one of my rants that I fought myself to go on this last week on Facebook because there seems to be a trend right now where people uh, and trainers, I would say wannabe trainers, but some other trainers too, are kind of getting on this wagon, this bandwagon of, you know, cereal is so, uh, it's so 1999. It's just so, you don't need oh, to do yeah. that. And yeah. posting studies about how it's not, okay, you posted studies that it's not different. So if it's not different, then get off of the cereal <laughs> issue. What does it matter? I, yeah. How does it matter? Exactly. I, but that's a, that's another discussion. The point mm. is, is the pre-workout carbs to me, I don't, I think they get way more attention than they need. And I think they're highly overrated. And I think I've heard you say that Andrew, that you made a change too, and you saw positives from pulling carbs prior to, did you pull all of them or just some of them? So when I had read your, um, your intense muscle post about it, this is going back 10 or 12 or 15, I can't remember 15 years, maybe. Oh, well, and then I'm that's like, outdated oh. by now. Who would do something so old? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no. So I, I will immediately start thinking about it. I'm like, okay, well, if I'm eating enough carbohydrates, specifically my, my post-workout meal the day before, I should have theoretically replenished my glycogen and, and the glycogen I'm using throughout the day to, I was on my feet back then being a trainer to walk around my day. I'm feeding my breakfast, my, my, my subsequent meals after that. So why would I need a big bolus carbohydrate meal, especially if it's like you said, bog you down during your training. Like for yeah. me, I want my stomach as empty as possible. And while I have back then I pulled all my carbs out and I was just doing like maybe chicken and peanut butter or chicken and nuts or something. Um, today I do utilize carbohydrates pre-workout, but it is my smallest carbohydrate meal to this day that really? I take in. Yeah. Like right now my pre-workout meal is, um, a cup of that 25 gram, um, Greek yogurt, okay. a scoop of whey protein thrown in and 70, 80 grams of, um, granola, okay. you know, little untraditional. I know most people don't associate granola with a pre-workout food, but it digests so well for me mm -hmm. that by the time I get to the gym an hour and a half later, my stomach feels like it's near empty and I can do my intra and I can do my training and I feel great to, you know, for, like we always talk about rules and, and I don't care like about any of these rules. It, it comes down to like what works for the client's digestion for them to allow the have to, for them to be able to have the most effective workout. And if you're mm -hmm. trying to slam 150 grams of carbs at someone, maybe a mixture of rice and some fruit and you know some 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 easier to digest carbohydrates that's still a big volume of food in your digestive system mm -hmm. you better believe it's going to take more than an hour to digest that by the time you get to the gym and start moving around and then yeah. you're sending mixed signals to your body right your body's in rest and digest but then your brain's trying to tell your muscles to turn on the sympathetic nervous system and that don't end well very well for most sure people. you also have blood supply for digestion that at that time your your body is fighting because the blood wants to go to the working muscle so digestion i mean let's be fair how efficient can digestion really be which is for a food a solid food meal while you're training mm -hmm. which is exactly why or the argument for intra nutrition because mm -hmm. it's so fast and you have a higher amount of fluid which is funny because and i think it's a good point to make intra workout nutrition is pretty important but if you don't have enough water, that those supplements are going to sit in your gut and they're not, the gastric emptying isn't going to be as quick. You're not going to be providing that quick 
No, you're not. Uh, yeah. Supply or assimilation of the nutrients that you're taking in intra. You make a very good point to Andrew that I didn't even think about before until we're talking about this right now. You touched on the time. I do something similar now too. I don't, my meal pre-workout is not zero carb. It is mm-hmm. one of my lower carb meals, but here's the caveat. I don't train for about two hours after my last meal. Yeah, And mm-hmm. that's part of the digestion process too. Not only do I not want it in my stomach, but I want to have started to store and don't so that I don't have those circulating blood glucose levels that are higher. Now, quinoa, chicken breast, and pecorino cheese, as an example, is not going to cause huge, <laughs> huge levels of circulating blood glucose. That's not really my main focus at that point. But I think mm-hmm. people who focus on taking in more carbs, I think they tend to think they give it more importance or they think it's more important than what it actually is for how their performance is going to be in the gym. And I would argue that it's not going to help at all unless you didn't eat all day. (laughs) And, and at the same time, it may actually pull and make Mm -hmm. your training slightly less effective. I mean, let's go to the most obvious. Let's just say that everything is equal but you're 20 or 30 minutes into your workout and you have to go take a shit. Carbs will make you have to go to the bathroom. God, I already lost it. Twice. Carbs <laughs> were demonetized. So That's your favorite, the, the S word. You can't say God either. It must be. It yeah. must be. Uh, it used to be the F word, but I have, you know, I've matured over the years. So now it's, <laughs> it's the less offensive swearing. But anyway, you know, you get in 20 or 30 minutes and what's going to make you have to go to the bathroom mm-hmm. to, to do a number two more than carbs, Super more fun. than any type. I mean, come on, it's, it's yeah. And then add a stimulant to it. We all know how that, especially yeah. as you age, <laughs> add any caffeine or a pre-workout. It's like, oh, and you're just clenching your butt cheeks to get to the bathroom. So I don't know. I went off on a tangent, which I think I've been pretty good about, but we're waiting that. for it. We're waiting for the yeah. tangent. Yeah. <laughs> We had uh, we had something else too. I know we we're gonna ask Andrew. We had a, a question related to DC. Um, was there something else that we were supposed to get to? I think uh, was oh, it. I think I was gonna message. jump to somewhere else before we went there. Oh, here was a comment I thought was really nice. Skip jumped in on. Uh, Jonathan said, uh, "Yep, my wife watches. She surprised me." Uh, <laughs> now and then with the knowledge that she has gained and i was really nice and i said that's awesome man and skip says tell her i said hi <laughs> yeah but you have to understand i can't make i, I overstepped my bounds last time that i made a comment about jimmy dean's sausage to a guy and i totally yeah. offended him it was having to do with his mom it was i thought hilarious and I was mortified that he did not receive my humor the way that it was intended. So now I've had to tone it down a little bit. Uh, I've got a segue, um, Scott, that because okay. um, because Skip started to bring up a social media post that he saw that we both kind of commented on. I, I think. saw that one too. I think the post that Neil Hill had posted yeah, with yeah. a picture of Flex. He um, said he never ate cereal once, right? Never ate cereal once. He never did push pull legs. He. Um, Let's say those were the two main things he was saying. Sure. And he, and he won Mr. The other Olympia. one was deadlifts. Oh, yeah, yeah he never deadlifted deadlift once or yeah. something like that, which, okay. So what my, my issue is that when, and, and I think the discussion, because then someone else, uh, Phil Viz posted, a, uh, made a post about um, 
high level coaches and like what what people in the industry associate with a high level coach. And I think the the most people in our sport think of like names like Hani. The they think maker. of Chris Aceto. Yes. They think of Neil Hill. They think of um, all, all you know those we'll call them tier one coaches, right? And and I kind of have a problem. Gurus, yeah, Farah. Um, Aceto, Milos, you Milos, know, Milos, all those yeah. names because I mean, you know, doing you got, well. Sorry, <laughs> you, you, <laughs> yeah, but it got a laugh, didn't it? Thank <laughs> you. That's all that matters. But, but, but I think you guys know where I'm going with this because when people think of those coaches, they think, okay, they're working with Olympians, and, <laughs> and where I'm going with that is, okay, they're high level because they can work only with like, or they work with these top Olympians, yeah. but could they take an average person? And I have yet to really see it. I've seen Aceto do a few. Can they take someone that looks like nobody and make them look like somebody? Cause, and I really, cause I have, I have a problem with that high level coach because in my mind, I think all of us are high level coaches in the sense that we work with more average people, but we bring them into great shape and we help we work them make massive improvements. Yeah, we exactly. work with more people, period. Exactly. Exactly. Because some of these high level coaches, I know for a fact, they take your money, they send you a plan, they don't respond to your emails for three months, and then they send you another bill for the next three months. Like, yeah. I, I can think of three that or happens. four of these guys. It happens. And and I know none of us would ever do that to somebody, ghost them, take their money, and then be like, oh, by the way, it's time to re-up when it's three months later after not yeah. doing anything with them. Yeah. So my, my issue is, and maybe, you know, some of our listeners and, and, and watchers can comment, you know, what their opinion is of a high-level coach. Because I put one in my story, and I got a lot of good answers. And hmm. And, and, and I guess going back to um, the Neil Hill post, which kind of irked me a little bit, was like, okay, so you're saying. Me. I'm glad it wasn't just me. Oh, no. Like, like, okay, so you're telling me you can work on a Ferrari, but can you work on a Toyota and, and great, get, get great results on a Toyota? Can you work on a Dodge and get great results on a Dodge? Because most of the people that any coach is ever going to work with are more average genetic people. They're not these top 1% genetic freaks that grow muscle, regardless of what training program you put them on, regardless yeah. of, you know, the drugs you put them on, you know, it, it just kind of irks me when a, when a quote unquote high level coach uses their Olympian as an example. Now, yeah. if he was some Joe Blow, like, uh, okay, so I'll tell someone who looks like maybe Eduardo Cordera, right? Not the best genetic guy. But I would say Chris Aceto has done a great job with him in, in maximizing everything he has. He's got yeah. a lot of shortcomings with his muscle bellies, come, brings them in peeled every time, right? Peeled. I would say that's a better example of taking someone who is a little bit more on the average spectrum and turning them into a top 212 guy versus taking someone like Samson, who Milos has got a hold of, and adding five more pounds to his frame when the guy's a genetic, any, any of those coaches, any of us could work with him and make him look the way he looks, in my yeah. opinion. There was a time I didn't understand that. And then I worked with one of those guys. Mm. And then I was like, oh, Scott mm -hmm. Stevenson. So he, you know, he worked with Dave Henry uh, through almost yes. Dave's that, oh, that's, a, that's a good example, career. too. He that's said, a good example uh, of taking someone from a regular and, and turning them into somebody. Well, that's not what. No, I wasn't going to go that way. I understand route. Dave's a genetic freak, but so, I'm saying, yeah, like, here's we what, know yeah. Scott. Here's what we know Scott his intelligence said. level. Here's what Scott said. He said, working with Dave Henry, it, he used the word Ferrari. He was like, it's like oh, working really? on a Ferrari. You can okay. just do anything you want and it's going to work. He was like, he just, and it's not like Scott didn't really still have to work hard with him and invest a lot, but he was like, you just like, you can push him as hard as you want and it's not going to stop. Like, it's just, mm -hmm. it's going to work with Dave Henry because he was one of those guys, you know, he, mm -hmm. I mean, granted he had his, his weaknesses too, you know, but sure. he just like, no matter what, it's like, 
he couldn't go flat. You know, he just always was what he was, which is, mm-hmm. I mean, the dude's still competing today. You know, it's <laughs> is he like, well, that's what I was talking about with Phil. Have you ever seen him flat? Yeah. I, and, and, and I, I asked this question because we're all going to say no. And the listeners are probably thinking the same thing. So then you have two ways to look at it. Hani's absolutely brilliant or Phil can't go flat or Phil's <laughs> flat. A better way to put it is yeah. Phil can go flat for Phil, but it's mm-hmm. still ridiculously and absurdly full that no one can tell the difference. So mm-hmm. we don't know. Yeah. It's mm. rare. And, and but I, I, worked with, I worked with only a couple guys that are like that. Like you can get them yeah. like even at their flattest, it's like, damn, you could still do pretty good. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think it's important to note though, for the listeners, we're not coming on here to bash Neil as far as him being a no. trainer. That's not what Andrew's no. saying. That's not what I'm saying or Scott's saying. Absolutely. What what I'm saying specifically about what, what irked me or what caught my attention to begin with with, his, with Neil's post was the reference to the post-workout cereal. And the reason mm-hmm. is this. The burger thing prior to a show, Matt caught me. I messaged him a couple times and I'm like, Matt, matter of fact, the one time I told him, I said, be careful that you're not disrespecting the people who came before you. And he immediately, he was like, I'm so that's not what I meant. And when he explained it, I understood. And what he explained was it's the other people, the wannabe coaches who take what you did and what other people have done. And Mm. then they use it as their method like they have come up with it and it's so popular now and it's used by so many people because it is arguably so effective that now it becomes laughable and i told him i totally get that but here's what you have to understand from my perspective when someone like you matt porter posts something like that Mm. maybe think of all the people that i have worked with and they may think that you're saying that that's a bad idea Mm-hmm. And he That's said, great he goes, perspective. I, I didn't, I didn't think about it that way. And it was done and gone and, and it wasn't yeah. an issue. Yeah. So well, Matt's a very introspective and intelligent guy. So absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's with Neil. I want to say this. I'm not sure the context and I posted this. I'm not sure the context that he was making. He may not have been bad mouthing it. I may have been just assuming that because the trend now is to bash uh, these things like the post-workout yeah. cereal or burgers and, you know, peeking for a show. It may not have been that it may have just been him saying it's he doesn't do deadlifts and yet look at his back. Yeah. He doesn't do push pull legs. And this is the one that kind of push pull legs is about, I mean, who can slam push pull legs, but he doesn't do it. He doesn't do that. And he's still, and, and the same with the cereal, obviously he doesn't, he's basically, he might be saying, Flex didn't do these things that everybody else does yet does yet he created a world class physique. My argument would be he's a genetic anomaly. So yeah. like you said Andrew, he can do everything different from everybody else. Phil Heath, I never saw the guy pull a dead ever in his life. Quite frankly, I never I saw him never do a real squat. Train that hard. He would make noise. And, yeah. He would make noise when my camera came on for the longevity DV and I turned around and looked at him and I went the camera's not even on and he laughed. So <laughs> it's one of those things where, you know, the Paul Delettes of the world and the Phil Heats, it's not that they don't train hard. It's not that they're not deserving of where they are, but I do insist that people look closer at the genetic component because there are a lot of people 
thousands and thousands, arguably tens of thousands of people who have done everything right mm -hmm. and will never threaten for a pro card. Never. Mm -hmm. This goes mm -hmm. back to, to our conversations we've had about how some guys can do fantastic with a little bit of gear. Exactly. Exact same conversation. Absolutely. It really is. And it's is. also why it's hard for anyone to believe because yeah. who wants to admit in their heart of hearts that it doesn't have to do with a work ethic or being consistent and just banging and outworking the guy, outworking the other competitor or the guy next to you in the gym. None of us want to believe that. Hell, if I believed that, I'd have never gotten. I'd have spent two years in bodybuilding and went, you know what? You're right. I suck at this. And I would have gone and done something else. There is a massive, massive genetic component. Yet at the same time, I've written a lot of articles about this, and I always make the analogy of a poker hand. We all are dealt our, our two cards in the hole. You still have the flop. You still have the turn. You still have the river. You have to play it out because in the end, if you play your cards right, you can beat the ace king in the hole. It's just that they have such an advantage going in, mm -hmm. but you don't know what's going to happen over a course of time. Shelby Starnes, I always use him as, as an example. No one, Dusty, no yeah. one would have ever thought that these guys are going to turn. They're going to be pros. If he would have told me he was a pro the first year he started training, I've been like, yep, next in line. Because I've heard that a million times over, but he did. Yeah. And some people think, well, he outworked shitty genetics. No, he had the genetics to get there. He just had to kill it. And he had to play his cards right. And he had to put in the time. And he had to bang, bang, yeah. bang consistently for a long time. And he got there. Yeah. And push-pull legs did so well said. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, no kidding. Yeah. Skip that was yeah, so I almost said no S. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But, I mean, a bunch the of bigger issue, still. though, well, I was just going to say the bigger issue is I just hate when the, these quote unquote high level coaches that people associate with that term throw out these things without the glaring. You have a top 0.5% genetic freak in your stable. Okay. Yeah. Like, let's start with sure. that. And then anything after that, like, we'll take that with a small grain of salt. Yeah. yeah, he could do hypers and get erectors right. like that. Now, he's still working hard. He's still putting in the time. He's still yeah. banging. I'm not taking anything away from the guy. Flex is a cool guy. He was him. Let's see, Arnold. We were going to the Arnold. We were on the same flight because we left out of Fort Lauderdale, and we were the only two clowns who landed in uh, what March, early March in Ohio with shorts on. And we laughed about it knowing full well, no one's going to understand. We just came from Fort Lauderdale and it was freezing. But in, the point is he's a nice guy. I'm not taking anything away from him. What I don't like is I don't like when trainers don't understand that when they post something, especially high level trainers like that without meaning to it's, it's, it's kind of condescending and it, and it, it's a shot sometimes at people who are still good trainers that don't do what you do because you don't have to do it. Or those mm -hmm. things don't necessarily work for the genetic freaks. And it is day and night. We all know this working with a genetic freak versus the average person who is fighting for every five pounds of muscle or is fighting to get ripped or fighting to get their glutes or lower back ripped when everything else is ready to go. All right, moving on here uh, for BSG. Uh, this is also from Patreon. Thank you very much, Jonathan. He says, um, I've heard pros mention that sometimes they stop losing fat during prep and have to switch things up. Uh, is, uh, is it just the rate of 
loss they mean or does the loss really stop? Is it possible for pro bodybuilders to hit a true wall in fat loss? With all the aid of PEDs, so much muscle mass in training, does metabolic adaptation still occur? Thanks for your support. That's a good. I like that question. It's good. Yeah, I mean, metabolic adaptation absolutely can happen to anybody. But I think with some of these freaks, you got a much longer window or much longer road to drive before you hit some of those walls. I mean, everyone has genetic strengths. You, You have... You have more average genetic people that also have a propensity to burn fat very easily. You know, like we all have some clients that you would have to struggle to make them fat in the off season, right? Mm-hmm. But then you also have the other end of the spectrum where you have fast muscle gainers. But then for them to get in shape, you got to start the diet at thirty weeks out, and you got to be on them from day one. So, I mean, everyone has their own strengths and weaknesses, as we talk about more average people, especially, but. Yeah, I mean, if you took a bodybuilder that was eating 5,000 calories a day and you jumped them down to 1,000 calories a day, eventually they're absolutely going to hit a wall in terms of metabolic adaptation. It's just how the, how the thyroid works. Absolutely. The body wants to hold on to what it has. Just like it's hard to go from, let's say, 200 pounds, if you've been 200 pounds your whole life and you've been eating to be 200 pounds to try to get to 220. You know, it's, it's almost as hard to get to 220 as it is to get down to 160. There's pros and there's everyone else. And people are pros, not just because they, it's not a shoulder to waist ratio. It's not the shape of their muscles. It's not the fact that they get lean and shredded. It's not the fact that they put on muscle easier than everybody else, utilize gear and respond to gear better than everybody else. It's all those things yeah, I was, together. I was like, it's wait, I think every, it's that and that, and that. When you're a pro, you don't hold you don't hold fat in your in your lower back when you're ready to go everywhere else. It's not common. If yeah. there are exceptions to the rule, but the very vast majority, which is that was redundant. The vast majority of people, the vast majority of pros have those pro traits and those pro qualities. That's why they're pros. They still have to work hard. But the difference between the pros and the rest of us, or us mere mortals, is we'll work our asses off sometimes equally as hard, sometimes harder, and not be able to get into that same condition that pros are able to get into or not be able to put on the muscle that pros are able to get into it's just, it's not like, Oh, there's amateurs. And then the line is so close to pro there's amateurs and amateurs are down here around the two mark. And then there's pros and they're up at the 12 mark. There is this huge disparity between the two. The only thing you could argue is the people who are amateurs and they're on their way to being pros. But again, going back to the dusty or the Shelby's or the people they fought and they got there. But how long the did road it take? Is a lot longer. Yeah. And, and I still say that those guys will work harder than the large majority of pros. We hear these stories all the time. And Phil is just so easy. He's such an easy example for me to use because I knew him so well. And I knew him when he was coming up from his first show. And I watched the whole thing take place. That's why I was so supportive of him on the boards and got blasted when Everybody who had been at that level for 10 plus years was saying, oh, he doesn't have a back. He sucks. He didn't. You know, even Chris Havacost loved the guy. But Chris Havacost was at that level in Colorado for a while. And Phil surpassed him and everybody else, the rest of us in Colorado, in a year. 
Nobody wants to see that. Nobody wants it to happen. It's hard to be supportive of that until it does happen. And then even Chris was like, oh, did it again. He's he's really he's he's good. I can't take anything from him. Eventually, you come around and you understand that that they're just on a different level. And I will tell you this: Phil did not work, Chris. He did not work, Chris. In if you took any five years that Phil was at the Olympia versus five years that Chris was an amateur, and I'm just using these people don't know who they are, but I'm using it. Chris could be anybody. Okay, he did not work him. He didn't do it longer. He didn't do it any harder. And yet he reigned for years and, and is arguably one of the best bodybuilders on the planet ever. Hallelujah. I think that another kind of another direction here to look at, too, is I think I don't know whether Jonathan is a competitor or not. But I think sometimes when when we hear a competitor, be it a pro or an amateur, say, hey, you know, things weren't working. I had to switch it up. It, there's a timing factor with doing a contest where let's say you're just doing like a, Hey, I want to get in shape type, you know, your non-competitor, you know, diet. Well, if things aren't moving as fast, it's not going to be as critical, but if you have seven weeks and you're trying to time it up to make sure that you're on point to be there, then maybe that's where things are like a little bit more critical that we make the changes when we need to make them. You know what I mean? Sure. And methods will sometimes stop working and you do need to mix things up. There are times where, and I'm sure you guys have done it where you've got calories low, things are slowing down, you refeed, you skip load, whatever you do these things, you add cardio and the progress doesn't seem to be there and you increase calories and all of a sudden the calories in the regular diet and then all of a sudden the metabolism is taking over there's a there's a huge component that is misunderstood about prep dieting and even for some people who struggle to get fat loss um you know max fat loss who don't compete and that is Sometimes you have to bury the metabolism yes, and yeah. then build it by adding calories. And people struggle yeah. with that concept because it seems so counterintuitive. They start adding counting calories, calories makes me leaner. Sure. They start adding counting calories. calories at, you're like, going to add know, carbs? 12 weeks out. They're like right. 12 weeks out. They're like, but I'm only eating this many calories now. What's going to happen later? You know? Right. I just yeah. say, I don't know. I, yeah. I can't, I don't have a crystal ball. Like, cause mm-hmm. like we talked about, um, the last episode, uh, you know, the post-show phase being reactive. Well, prep is just as reactive too. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. how many times do you, you got them on a plan? They're losing two pounds a week. Everything's going good. Your, your check-ins are so easy. You're like, great. Awesome. Keep going. No changes, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And then you have like two check-ins in a row where they're either up the weight or they're looking softer or, or whatever it might be. Absolutely. You got to make changes. I, I, I think sometimes people think that like, you start a diet, that diet's going to be the one you're on from point A to point B to get there. And as you do more and more preps as a competitor, you know, um, you're going to find, oh, wow, we made 15 diet changes this prep, or we made 25 di- uh, diet changes this prep, including, yeah. you know, refeeds or complete diet changes in terms of, you know, pulling carbs and increasing fats or w- whatever it might be. And that's where, you know, a good, you know, diet technician or a coach comes in handy because they can see those things. They've had experience working with other people in those situations and they have maybe not the one thing that they need to do, but they have an, in their back of their mind, okay, there's probably three or four things we can do here. I think this is the most common route that, or this is the most advantageous route for this person. They put them on there. If that's not working, okay, we're going to go with a different route. So there's a lot of that inner dialogue that goes in on inside a coach's head when they're, you know, looking at a client's plan, looking at the client's progress, uh, analyzing how many weeks out we are, or how many weeks they need to be, to be in uh, contest shape. So there, there's all these different things that are going on through your mind as a coach and as a competitor. And, um, 
you just got to be able to extrapolate and, and wade through that information. Agreed. And as a client, you need to trust the reason that you went with that trainer to begin with. Yeah. And if you don't trust them, you got to wonder why you went with them. Well, I mean, here's the thing, you know, because when someone looks at our Instagram pages or, you know, our websites with the, you know, hundreds of clients that we've gotten in shape, you should feel pretty confident that, okay, like if I'm not getting in shape with this person, you know, A, first, am I doing something wrong? Am I miscounting something? Am I doing something wrong as an athlete? But B, or is there just something wrong with this prep? Meaning the coach has tried all these different things. Maybe it's just not going to work this time. That's very rare. But like, I mean, I, I can tell you right now, I've had to pull people out over the years where it's like, nothing we're doing is working right now. We need to like rebuild and start over and look at a different contest. Mm -hmm. I'd like to take a moment to say thank you to our supporters. Thank you to the people who have helped us make this show continue to come out several times per week. So number one, thank you to our Patreon subscribers. And if you know one of our Patreon subscribers, you can thank them directly because they're the biggest driving force right now that's helping to support this show. If you want to take part in Patreon, we could use all the help we can get. We vote with our dollars, and I want to say thank you to everybody who has voted for us. Also, I want to say thank you to our advertisers. You guys have directly supported what you're doing. You believe in us, and I only work with advertisers that I believe in too. Shopping with them is shopping with us. Use our code THINK at True Nutrition. Shop with Strom Sports Nutrition in the UK and shop with supplementsource.ca in Canada. I'm happy to talk and give you insight on any of their products, or if I don't know, I can direct you to somebody that will. Appreciate you guys tuning in, and thank you for all your support. Let's get back to the programming. All right. John has one. He says, a uh, longtime listener and Andrew's old client. Ranieri? Oh, great John Ranieri. Too. Fired, he fired you, Andrew. I'll be damned. <laughs> he did. <laughs> He's actually, John's a good coach himself now. He uh, he coaches a bunch of uh, athletes, both competitors and non-competitors. And uh, he looked really good. Uh, I saw him at Eastern USA's. He didn't come in the way he wanted to because I think the coach he had at the time did something where they had done it before and it completely flopped and he made him do it again. Mm -hmm. Even though he was reminding him, Hey coach, we did this. This is the look it gave us. It wasn't good. And, um, but then he went on to nationals. He looked pretty good. Okay. Well, let's see if this ties in. Cause it's about contest prep. He says, uh, was wondering each of your thoughts on when trying to make a weight class judgment, um, how much should you be typically over the cap before deciding to diet down, let's say for a national show, for example, um, if you want to make middles um, and make the first call out uh, prep, should should you start at, uh, say, 220? So saying how heavy should you be maybe before you get into a show for a particular weight class? Because. That I mean that varies big time because let's say yeah, you're yeah. someone that doesn't get like like John Meadows for example the guy like I I say this all the time but he started a contest prep in the kind of co shape most competitors will get into on stage mm -hmm. if you know what I mean like he was peeled so for him his variation of weight was like three to five pounds for a diet right whereas yeah. <coughs> excuse me you know you'll see a lot of I've seen this too and 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 I think Gary Turner's talked about this this Gary was a heavyweight at like 223, 224 for North Americans in 2020. He had been as high as like 315 um, yeah. in the off season leading up to that. And I think that was when he realized, I just can't do that anymore. It's not producing positive gains for me on stage. And then I think he stayed much tighter after that. And he's been a super heavyweight ever since then. And, and a good super heavyweight. He made first call out, I believe, at North Americans and USA's that year in 2021. Yeah, so, he looked he looked his yeah. best then too, you know. I agree. He did. We look had him his on best. the show. Absolutely. We had him on the show. We talked about yes. that. Yeah. Yep. Yep. He used so the two twenty mark. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, no, I, I've said enough. Go ahead. 
Well, I say the two twenty. He uses the two twenty mark for the middleweight, and the cutoff being one seventy six. So, um, you know, my response would be this: some guys can be at 220 and make the cutoff and look crazy. And other guys will start at 220 and they'll struggle to get to 176 uh, yeah. and not look over dieted and have a hard time filling them out and peaking them. So it, it is, it's incredibly random. There isn't a ceiling to say, oh, that's big. I would say this, if I had a middleweight who was say below the national level and they were 220 and they had to come in at 176, I'd be like, we got work to do, bro. Like we got a lot of work to do and we need to yeah. get on it yeah. right now. That's a 30 week we prep, right? Any time to lose. Yeah. It, we have no time to lose. Like this is it. it we needed yeah. to start yesterday. <laughs> Can I, um, I think what John's really asking here is when you are, let's say you, you're looking really good at 180, but the middleweight cutoff is 176. Do you make that decision to stay as a light heavy because that's your best that's look? That's what I initially thought. Uh, well, because I know because we've talked about this. Because we've talked about this. Yeah. What would that cutoff be? Like how many pounds over the weight class are you are you think he's saying? Maybe? Yeah, I think that's what he's really asking because we've had this. We kind of had that discussion the night before the show when he wasn't really happy with, I think, the, the, the program he was he was running into the show, the protocol going into the show. And again, I think that's a judgment call because if you have an athlete that no matter what you do, they don't go flat. I think you absolutely push for the middleweights, right? Because sure. they're yeah. just they just don't go flat. The muscles round like a Phil Heath type of uh, type of physique. Like you said, his flat is something that we can't even see. We can't even tell because he's still full. Yeah. Whereas mm -hmm. if you're somebody that the minute you are a pound lighter than your best weight, whether it's fluid loss or glycogen depletion, and you look like a completely different athlete, you look stringy. Yeah. I mean, like myself, that's oh, a case where you go with yeah. your best look. You go with your best look, whether it's 180, you stay with that 180, I think, and you write yeah. it in yeah. and um, and you take your chances in the light heavy. And I'll say this because a lot of people are so obsessed with weight. As an amateur, most of the time, I was the lightest super heavyweight in my classes, but mm. I was also the most peeled super heavyweight in my classes. And mm. I never lost the super heavyweight class because mm. we brought that conditioning. And because of that, con and I never, and I looked at the pictures because I'd analyze them because, like, man, this guy's got 20 pounds on me. You know, how do I, how do I beat this guy at 240 and he's 260 or 259 or something? When you are bone dry, peeled and full, you will look just as big as someone that's 20 pounds and a little right. less dish. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Just the, the fullness, the shape, the the illusion of it, you will look every bit as big as that person next to you. So I say always go with your best look unless you're one of those genetic freaks that never loses its fullness, never loses its fullness. And the guy who lost to you and he was 260 or 250, he's still complaining about it on social media because he was so much bigger than you. But the reality <laughs> is you outworked him and it's there's nothing more disappointing to me. I don't care what the level of the show when people have the muscle and the shape and they cannot do the work in that class, sometimes in the heavy heavies too. Well, sometimes in all classes, all sure. classes but, but I see it more in the super heavy. They, that is such a size. And those guys at that level and that size, they cannot stand to lose three pounds. So mm -hmm. they are seeing themselves in much better condition than the mirror is actually telling them they are. <laughs> and then they can't figure out why they don't why they don't win. Um, the other thing that I think needs to be mentioned about the <clears throat> what what weight class to go in when it comes down to the wire those last couple weeks is the level of the show and how the show is set up based on the weigh-in versus when you're going to get on stage. A weigh-in the That's night before point. and getting on stage the next day, 
is completely different than a national show where you might have two, two and a half days to fill out. True. I mean, you could get, you know, I'll put it out here. I, I, in a situation where I have two, two and a half days, I do want to pull most people down because I'll get you dry and then I'll load you and fill you out and add fluid back and you're not going to lose condition. You're just going to get better and better over those, those two, two and a half days. That's a Mm -hmm. completely different story than if you have to weigh in. I remember, you know, I'm old enough to remember when morning was weighing in the morning of the show and you were pretty much like me too. Yeah. You had to be ready to go. It's also different. I think you guys would agree. It's different at the national level because you've got guys who are arguably almost 20 pounds heavier in those bigger weight classes, but they only suck down to get into those classes. So then they go pro and everybody's like, Oh, he gained 25 pounds. Well, he may not have, he may have just not done the ridiculous and absurd things that he needed to do to get underneath the cutoff for that weight class. Let's just play a game. And this is completely fictional. So let's say, <laughs> let, let's say oh. you had to weigh in the morning of, which nobody does anymore, and it's not a national show then. And right. you got to make uh, uh, Steve's shows. A lot of Steve shows uh, up here in the Northeast. You still weigh in the morning. Do of you the still? Show okay, it's like a eight, long between, day. Yeah, between <laughs> so, eight and nine a.m. And then your prejudging is either ten or eleven a.m. So you got so, a middleweight. You got a middleweight. Wow. Okay, he's one seventy-seven. Do you would you make the decision to say, hey, yeah, let's go to 176? This is this is I got multiple questions here. Would it, would it be would it be worth it for the one pound to weigh in? Okay, so being, I think all of us are coaches at the level where we can talk to the promoter, and be like, hey, how many middleweights you got? How many light heavies you got? Like we can play that game and, and get a little insight as to like, oh, is the light heavy in shape? No, okay, I'm staying light heavy. You know okay. what I mean? I think you can play that game a little bit, um, but I think all of us, all, all of us, knowing that like they're really close, I, 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 maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but I think all of us would like to have that person at 176, like two days before, ride it out, so yeah. that they're so insulin sensitive and ready to load that at the minute you weigh in, you can start feeding them. So it's not like a suck down. You so know, you're, what I'm saying? So 177, you can work with it. That was my yeah. first question. 178. Yeah, okay. Where, What's your what I'm getting at is where do we draw the yes. okay, line? Great... See what I'm saying? Where do we draw the line? You know what I mean on yeah. that? Yeah, um, I, I get your point, and I think it's a good point. But if it's a few pounds, I, I'm I'm going to do it because I think that the change. But again, we may use different methods too. Where if I'm mm. let's let's say this, okay, let's throw something else in here. I say yes if it's a few pounds. I might even go as high as. Nah, I don't want to know if I want to go that high. But the point being is if you're going to get them down and then you're going to load them, the the loading that I would do, I have to take into consideration something else, too, because of the loading method I use. Mm -hmm. If they are prone to distension, Uh, then I have to take that into consideration because I can't throw off the shoulder to waist ratio and have them potentially distended from loading. So if people can handle loading, like let's say it's a, you know, a Phil Viz type guy with a smaller waist. Oh, yeah. And I would even use... um, Manny is an example, uh, mm-hmm. you know, with the with the 212. I would definitely have done it with him because he can handle larger amounts of food and he will assimilate them and his condition will change very, very quickly in, say, a matter of a couple hours. And that's really, I mean, what do you need? You need a couple hours. Yeah. Depends about, on the person again. How about this? What's the most you pulled off of somebody? Let's say the, the weigh-in was like, let's say it's a Saturday show, national mm-hmm. show. Friday morning was the weigh-ins for, for the men, like at 10 a.m. What level show? 
national. Let's say North Americans. Okay. Okay. Um, or just, man, like, you know, what's, you what's the most you pulled back. off of someone Long in a night, night, I guess we can say, a night? I don't, I will tell you this. I have heard numbers from Matt, and I they always made me uncomfortable. I was not as aggressive as he was, but I could, now, it depends on the weight class, too, but let's just say it's a light heavy. I would if I had to. Like, I, if I saw someone that I thought, he, he, you just have to be here, it's just it's the difference between winning and, and potentially getting, you know, seventh. I almost said you're A, B, but I caught myself. See, I'm getting better. So, which has no impact when you say when you're getting your, eight beat, your A, B. But anyway, <laughs> if I have to, I would pull, man, I'd pull, mm, I'd pull eight-ish. When you start to get up yeah. around 10, I'm getting a little nervous. Yeah. I'm getting a little nervous because that has such an impact. But again, national level, you're pulling it, and then you have – the time to go back for a couple days. So that's well, in this case, different. I'm saying still- you, had a, you had the rest of Friday to fill it. Cause I actually yeah. have a real world situation and you guys might be like, holy crap. How'd you do okay, that? Okay. So weighing in Friday morning, Friday morning shows on Saturday morning. Yeah. Depending on the person, I, yeah. I could get a little bit more aggressive with that. I thought we were still on, I thought we were going national show weighing in the morning. And even though that doesn't happen, it was still, yeah. you know, the point of, okay. But yeah, I mean, I, eight to 10 pounds getting up there higher. It's going to depend on the person and how they're going to respond. How about on a lightweight? How about on a lightweight? Hmm. So lightweight 159. That's going to be obviously 154. Okay, so it's going to be a different story. Okay. What's the most you think you could pull off somebody? So I would say this for, for a guy that was bigger, I was thinking light heavy to a smaller heavy. I I would say I'd feel comfortable with seven pounds. Like Mm -hmm. I'd feel comfortable with that. And I feel like I try to play shit stuff. I brought the rules. Uh, (laughs) I love when he screws up. (laughs) I I try to play things really conservative. So I think the 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 time that I pulled the most was with that guy, uh, classic competitor Joe Russo, and I I know I told you about this Andrew where he needed to be two hundred uh, to get on stage in classic, and at about it was under two weeks out he was at like two twenty two, and we were eating like just fish and veggies. See that's at that time. hard, and we've been doing that yeah. for a while. Dude, we went to the gym together, and when we went out, because I didn't see him in person every day, but I did see him in person. We were standing outside of the gym, and he was chewing gum, and I was looking at the striations in his cheek dance that day, and that was two weeks out at 2.22. He's already in shape. So, yeah, he was, like, he was ready to go, and we, what I ended up doing was we, like, basically had to starve him in so I could get him close enough, and then I think maybe we pulled, like, five, six pounds at the end to get him to make weight. But we still had, that was like Wednesday for, you know, Friday show. So I would say if I'm saying a heavier guy, seven pounds, I might feel comfortable with a, a lightweight at four, honestly. So, so not 13 and a half. Did you do 13 and it, a half? That's, I figured you were going to be over yeah, 10. Me too. But I mean, so, me too. So the reason why I'll give you a reason why, because this guy was doing, because there are always variables and it's always absolutely. individual. Absolutely. He was competing in both classic and open bodybuilding. Okay. okay. Yeah. And we had a day to fill out, which I wasn't too worried about because he didn't really ever go flat. But yeah, we sucked off a little more than 13 pounds off him. And I'll say we only used one diazide. Okay. okay. 25 milligrams. And he won the double pro card. Oh, um, yeah. He, he, he got the classic and he got the uh, lightweight bodybuilding, which was pretty freaking What's his cool. name? 
Uh, should I say it? Because I said I did say. Oh Wayne yeah, never mind, never mind. I was going to give him a shout. Let out. me ask. Oh, you he would. He would. He wouldn't mind. Actually, he wouldn't mind. He wouldn't mind. Uh, mm-hmm. He's uh, his name is Hemraj Malai. He's from Aruba, and um, that's one of the only shows that people from outside of the country can compete in the, the North Americans, which is why we had to do that one. Yeah. And yeah. Um, and because he was doing classic as well, that's why we had to do. We, we had to get him down to that that uh, weight limit, and we had to we had to basically make sure he made the light the lightweight class as well. So. so what time did you, you had to weigh in on Friday, compete on Saturday? I what believe time it was like, he was on stage probably around two o'clock on Saturday. And then what time and we did know you weigh in on Friday? Like afternoon? I want to say, morning? I want to say it was between two and four. Okay. So, so what did you, where did, what was the game plan then after you guys made weight? And what, what, and what did he weigh? Like how close was he? Oh, like 153.9. Okay. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, right where you, right where you want him to be to, to make weight, you know, um, that, that, that year when with Joe, I went out there with him, we brought a scale with us. We literally cause like a five hour drive, six hour drive for, to Chicago. So we mm-hmm. literally went into like a truck stop bathroom and he peeled down and we weighed him and we're like, okay, you can have a little bit of water. You know? Yeah. You can have a sip of water. <laughs> yeah. I had this guy, literally, we were doing sauna sessions like all day. Uh, yeah. Cause I don't like to use, you guys know, I don't like to use a lot of diuretics and not that the sauna is that much safer than, you know, but we did use, we, we alternated tw- uh, 20 minute sauna sessions with 10 minute cold showers and then repeat and then do it again. And we did that chewing gum, spitting all your spit out. Um, you know, if, if we gave him any food, it was like an ounce of chicken and like a, a piece of broccoli, you know, just to hold <laughs> his hunger over enough. Yeah. And, um, and I think we did a lot of caffeine just to try to control his hunger with stimulants that day. So mm-hmm. he probably didn't feel very good, but he looked amazing and, uh, and it worked. Let me ask you this. Had he gone into, cause I know you, you would have paid attention like I did. Had he gone into the higher weight class, would he have still got the pro car? I don't think so. Mm. Ah, I don't. Well, I'm trying to remember who won the, uh, I can't remember that. This is back in 2016 or 2017. But um, I remember at the time being like, okay, this was a good move because okay. he also got to do the classic because I think that yeah. the classic number was still was 154 as well for his for his height. Okay. So we knew that that was the magic number that we had to hit. And because otherwise I probably would have thrown him in uh, the next class up. But no, nah, I, I think that no, I probably still would have done the light, the lightweights because it's, it was just how what he had did competed he, in. How bad did he rebound? Uh, no, nah, he, he was good. I mean, he was maybe cool. good. I think we probably put him on stage, you know, at 161, 162. And then like the following week, I think he was only up to like, actually, I think he was lighter. I think he was back down to like 157 or something. This guy was like dedicated, like on the program. doing. Well, the work. reason I ask that is because someone like yourself, you know, and I'm sure all three of us, we would be careful, maybe even more careful coming off of a show like that knowing what is in store if you just go off the rails and it can get very very dangerous and just it can be not good on all the bodily system that's a good point and i think we probably all like have that discussion with people if we use any type of diuretics or any type Mm -hmm. of drastic water drop situation that hey like we need to treat the post show especially these first three four days just like we did leading into this we're gonna do micro changes we're not you know we'll do a free meal the night after the show and then i want you to get up and do cardio and we're gonna do a probably a lower carb day and maybe one more free meal for dinner and then we're back on your your monday really prepare them like beforehand you're saying yeah yeah but i mean with someone who's doing a national level show who's done several national level shows and who also just got their pro card i think like that mindset of like 
okay, like yep. I can stick with the program another five weeks and, and yeah. you know, really ease out of this type of condition versus letting it all go. So, so his, suppositories, his, everything. You said I've done that with somebody. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You, you said you either that or you get in there with a fork and dig it out. <laughs> not a spoon a fork one of those yeah. old I, know exactly. I was gonna go with spork and it would have been funnier but it nonetheless been good. Anyway, spork would have been funny <laughs> very specific like you like it's something you've done you know what i mean at <laughs> so the, he competed how long ago was this this was a uh, 16 this you said 2016 or 17 i remember has um, he competed the, since Oh yeah, he's yeah. uh he's done several pro shows. Yeah, Good for uh, him. he got what did he get second or third at a ma- at the Masters? Um, was it called the Masters Worlds in Pittsburgh? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think the year after that, because um, he's a smaller classic guy. He's done. Let's see, we done Tampa. I think. Um, what else did we do? He might have even done Tampa when I did it last year. Now that I think about it. Ah. But there was forty something guys. It's so you get yeah. lost in the shuffle there. But yeah, no, he he's done well since then. He he runs his personal training and coaching business down in Aruba still, and, and I think very successful. We haven't connected since then, but um, I think in the last year or two. But right if he ever wants to compete again, I think he knows. I think he'll call me. We got one more here. Got time for one more. Actually, we had more guys. If we didn't get to your question, uh, please comment again. We'd love to get to them, but we just out of time. Um, Macy Clark, one of the several female listeners. We had a, a, a bunch of ladies. You asked for the females to yeah. uh, to comment. And in fact, like I think, where was this? We had even like, look at this, two back-to-back from T mm-hmm. and Paige. They're both like, hey, we're female listeners. So there's a bunch of them. She said, mm-hmm. um, question for the next Blood, Sweat, and Gear. Um, I want your opinions on uh, when you look at increasing protein versus carbs and fats. I've traditionally only been around four ounces across six meals in prep and off season. The only time my protein was ever increased was many years ago, and it was increased to six ounce portions across five meals. I believe it would have worked out well, but my carbs got so high so quickly in addition to the higher proteins that it ruined my digestion. Um, do y'all see many women under 140 pounds um, every work ever work better with uh, higher amounts of protein and keeping carbs and fats more moderate as a uh, strength in adding tissue? Okay, so so basically, okay, so protein. so when to increase protein versus carbs and fats? Yeah. Is that basically the overall gist? Absolutely. Um, With a female competitor. So, I mean, I feel like guys' uh, protein intakes, for the most part, are fairly consistent with weight class in general, overall, you know, across the board. Women, I find a little bit more variety. Like, Hmm. I'll I'll have a lot of women somewhere in the 140, 145 range of grams of protein per day. I've got several women that we get up as high as 200 grams. And I think the biggest driver for that is digestion. Um, and the other thing I want to point out about protein, and I know, I know Justin Harris pointed this out like 20 years ago that, you know, we think of protein as just building muscle, but the vast majority of your protein gets burned as energy, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because if you do the math on it, let's say, let's say you're just eating hundred grams of protein, 365 days a year. That's, you know, three, what? 3,650 grams. Of pro- if you do that weight into math, you didn't put on that much, uh, that same amount of muscle, you know what I mean? So a gram of protein that in your, in your intake does not equal a gram of protein accumulation in terms of muscle mass. Absolutely. So where does it go? Right. Where does it go? It's burned as energy. 
through gluconeogenesis. So I think that's the important thing to remember that, you know, increasing protein just doesn't necessarily mean it's going to increase your muscle mass. And in, and in a lot of cases, it might be a detriment to your muscle mass because of the, the effects on your digestion. Okay. Um, but in terms of like increasing protein, I think, you know, coming out of a show, I think we look at, or I look at, I want to increase carbs because usually those are the ones that we've been deficient in the longest. I want to increase fats a little bit because those usually don't fall to nothing, but they're also deficient compared to their off season. And then once we get to that point, I do start to increase protein a little bit, but it's not a vat. It's not like a four ounce to a six ounce portion. It might be yeah. four to four and a half ounce uh, portions, or it might mean like, you know, I guess I, I call it like sneaking calories in like instead yeah. of a, you know, a three ounce chicken meal, maybe we go to like a 25 gram Greek yogurt meal, which adds an extra, what, four grams of protein. And you do that, you know, across the board, instead of three quarters of a cup of egg whites, now you're going with like, you know, a whole egg and a whole cup of eggs as the diet progresses in yeah. the off season. So it's just these micro changes of protein in terms of like when to do it. I, I find it's more, it just kind of happens as a result of the diet changes because you know, no athlete or no one, very few people can stay on the same exact six meals for the rest of their lives, you know, sure. especially in the off season, you get to a point where you're like, Hey, four meals of chicken and rice a day just aren't working for me anymore. So, okay, what can we do? I, I call it adding fun foods, right? So like I gave you an example about my pre-workout meal, using some Greek yogurt, whey protein and granola that goes down so easy. It tastes good. It covers the same amount of macros that the chicken and rice I would have had. And it, it's more palatable. So I enjoy it. I digest it better and I'm ready to go train when I want to go train. So I think you kind of make those decisions and protein goes up as a side effect, not necessarily as a, um, as a, as a, as a purpose, I guess it's more of a side effect of the, the diet changes you're making overall. And I think her question too was based or asked more around the fact that she's female. So I would ask other questions. Mm. Um, gear use, no gear use. If gear use, what gear use? I think what she put that in. Division are you? Did she? Did she? What okay. uh, what in division are you competing in? I'm sorry. She's women's physique. Okay, see. I met so, her at the nationals. Okay, so these things uh, factor in too. I'm going to go on record as saying this. I don't care that a woman is, or that a client is female or male. It doesn't carry much. It, the division, the gear use, there's their amount of muscle mass. That factors, and I'm not saying that you do, Andrew. I'm just saying I'm going on record as saying that I don't. It doesn't matter to me. As an example, a guy who would have the same or or roughly the same body composition as a female, the new as far as protein intake and stuff like that. Aside from other variables that may be in there too, uh, it may be comparable. Um, increasing. I completely agree with you that there isn't anything that I can think of with myself and my clients that would be black and white where I look and go, Oh yeah. Protein needs to be increased right now. Yeah. It's almost kind of a gut feeling, which is funny because mm. this needs to be mentioned. I think a lot of experienced coaches, in my opinion, and, and I know it sounds like a little bit of a cop out, but there are gut feeling like mm -hmm. and those gut feelings are based on your experience without you sitting sitting there and methodically thinking okay this so this and that because of that we don't do that it's kind of like judging we don't go oh the the mm -hmm. biceps his biceps are just so much better i gotta give him two points here it's a total thing that just registers in your brain and because of your experience you know 
whether it's good or not, or whether it fits together. And I don't think it's any different when it comes to coaching uh, as far as dieting is concerned. These are things that sometimes I struggle to explain. You know, the analogy. I can explain it from a logic standpoint, but. I get what you're saying, Skip. The analogy yeah. I use is, you know, if, if you were in the car you and say you're an experienced driver and you've got a newbie driver in the passenger seat, there are times that you can tell them why you changed lanes. But sometimes, right. a lot of times, you're not even thinking about it. You're just changing lanes because you know that that's the best thing to do. And mm -hmm. it's based off of your level of experience as a driver. Yep. Very so, good. Very good. It's a good one. Yeah. I, I can think of one situation where you would want to increase protein, and that's if someone is really hungry, but you do not want to increase the other macronutrients. And because protein has much more satiety uh, effect, yep. satiating effect yep. than uh, carbohydrates and fats would. So, you know, maybe increasing a gram of, or a, a, an ounce of protein several meals a day will help starve off that hunger and allow them to continue to progress in the diet. Because we also know that protein, uh, the, the energy burn to digest and transport protein is more than the energy burn to digest and transport carbohydrates and fats. So there is a thermic a thermogenic effect of, of protein as well. So I think maybe that might kind of play into it a little bit when, um, you know, when someone is like, Hey, like I'm starving, I'm starving. Yeah. Not necessarily as a true contest prep because in a true contest prep, you're like, it is well, what it is. Then <laughs> I'll have a cup of water or something, you know, like, sorry, like I'm not going to change my diet based off your hunger level, but you know, maybe a general client, a general population person, they're like, man, I'm just starving all day things are going pretty well. You're like, okay, well let's increase, you know, 15 grams of protein throughout the day and see if we can get away with that versus adding more, you know, bulk carbs or something like that. And you, you know what I've noticed too, and I don't know if you guys would agree with this or not, but I feel like if we look at carbs, fats, and proteins, I feel like adding, as long as it digests well, adding mm -hmm. more protein is probably going to have the least negative effect on the physique like mm -hmm. we're, we're not likely gonna like oh we overdid it and now you're fat because we added some extra protein versus carbs mm -hmm. or fats maybe not the same story yeah you're know, on the side of protein because it's going to be used as glucose yeah. if, if you if you need it where carbs are not going to be used as protein if you need it yeah mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah I w yeah that's a great that's a great analogy i also sometimes though and you guys might do this too like um, if we're, if we're stalled out on a diet, I might pull like 20 grams of protein and replace it with 20 grams of carbs. And it does have an effect in terms of fat loss quite often in, yeah. in helping person, uh, progress. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah. So I, I, again, I think it's that intuition that skip was going to and, yeah. and, and your analogy of kind of, well, I'm switching lanes here and I can't really explain to you why my, my intuition just tell me that's the right thing to do. And, and that's the way of the road. And that's what we're doing. Kamal said that he, when he first met Chris Aceto, uh, when we interviewed him the other week that it, it was early on, he'd reached Chris, he'd reached out to Chris and he's like, yeah, I don't know if you remember me. And, you know, he said, I'm, I'm not making the progress I want to. What do you suggest I do? Showed him his diet. And Chris was like, bring your protein down. And he's like, that's what I did. And he was like, boom, got what I wanted out of it. Well, it's funny you mentioned Justin Harris talking about the conversion of protein because it was years ago that he I was remember everything. Yeah, he was very, and then you'll remember this too. He was very adamant that it is, and, and in fact, I, I'm pretty sure I got this from him because I still think about this on occasion, that the protein can be too high. And as soon as you, you may lower fats and you may lower carbs, but then you make the change of lowering protein and all of a sudden everything kicks in. And, mm -hmm. but yet at the same time, there's nothing that 
or very few things that will make a client more nervous closing in on a show than when you drop their protein. True. They That's think a good point. they're just going to, they, they just feel like Pac-Man's coming in and is just going to eat up all their muscle dots in the next week or two. And generally it was like the one thing they could depend on when you changed everything mm-hmm. else. Right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because typically <laughs> protein is going to be static almost from, you know, day right. one of the diet within, you know, the, the, the trace proteins that are in carbs and fats and yeah. fat sources, but, but your, your six ounces or eight ounces of chicken and your whatever steak and your protein, that's pretty much static all the way through. Yeah. But, um, how about this? Cause, um, I, I know I could never, ever follow a Chad Nichols diet plan because I don't know if you guys have ever seen them, but like, there's like five, 12 ounce steak or chicken meals per day. And like, <laughs> I mean, and, okay, you know, maybe I did do this kind of when I was younger because I didn't, I didn't count macros or anything like that. But, yeah. but like, you know, I, 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 I talk to guys that are in their thirties that that work with with Chad Nichols, and um, you know, they're like, oh, dude, this diet is killing me. Like, you know, oh, I, yeah. I, I'm I'm eating 600 grams of protein a day. I'm eating, you know, whatever carbs because they're still high carbs and high fats as well. But they're oh, eating yeah. like 600. I I know personally digestively, um, I just couldn't handle that. Well, when you were talking about uh, um, eating more meat, more food in the uh, on your non-training days, mm-hmm. I was going to say this, but there, I just there was so much going on. I decided not to that uh, Ron, Ron Partlow has talked about when he worked with Chad for a prep. He said he has never eaten as much food uh, and, and to bulk and grow as he did when he worked with Chad and that Chad had him doing that, that his offs mm-hmm. or his non-training days were so high because he literally couldn't train with how much food he had in his stomach. I believe it. I believe it. But then I wonder, is the efficiency of the diet not that good? Meaning, like, if you can get a guy to grow off 350 grams of protein progressively, why do we need to have that extra 250 grams in there? Well, you you take a pro like Ronnie (laughs) that you can't, you know, you can do anything with. You can do anything with him. So it looks good. You can take a guy like Chad, you're going to test those limits. Yeah, yeah, you know what I'm That's saying. True. You really are. Yeah, I don't think Chad is working with the the average person. Well, yeah, because then it gets back to um, the 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 guys I talk that I'm talking about that I work with Chad are average guys, right? Yeah. And they're not making Ronnie gains. No, you know, no offense to them, and, and they know that, you know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess it goes back to our argument about pros can assimilate food, mm-hmm. they can assimilate gear, they can assimilate muscle at a much better and faster rate than the rest of us. We have to watch it, I think, in the off season sometimes because I've I've seen it myself where I've pushed somebody too hard that mm-hmm. it was more food than their body was willing to process just because. And you know where it's been? I've done it a couple times with people that I've worked with longer term, and we've just decided like, you know what? Let's really push this off season and see what happens. You know, see what happens if we really go for more. And I'll, the the lesson I had learned out of those two times is that. You know that that we do as as normal humans, we do have our limits. You could take mm-hmm. a guy like Ronnie, or you know, a guy like Dusty. Is I think it, that's where he excels. Dusty could eat a lot, and he could mm-hmm. still just assimilate it. I don't think that everybody can do that. And sometimes we have to respect that our bodies are only going to grow so fast as mm-hmm. mortal humans. You know, and so at the same guys- time, you don't know until you try. Either. Exactly. So yeah. So yeah, you came away with that client. You know, after doing it a couple times, going, okay, this doesn't work. But at least you went down that path to find out because maybe he would have been able to assimilate more food had you not tried. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And it's still on the table. You know what I mean? As Mm -hmm. as something that, yeah, it's not, I'm not saying I would never do it again, but it, you know, it was a lesson learned, you know? Sure. 
All right. I, mean, so I won't be going to my grave going, oh, I sure wish I would have tried that to get huge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we're we're out of time, guys. We appreciate everybody hanging out with us and everybody tuning in. Uh, like I said before, if you want to uh, take part in the next show, we're going to need questions. So definitely comment below. Uh, and of course, uh, check out our sponsors, truenutrition.com. Use our code THINK, supplementsource.ca in Canada. Of course, Strom Sports Nutrition for those of you in the UK. Patreon, I appreciate the heck out of you guys. Thank you for everything you do over there. Of course, you can reach out to us for coaching. You can go to bodyberry.com to reach out to Andrew. Teamskip.com, reach out to Skip. Hit me up at McNallyDiets at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, that's it. That's all we got for you. Skip, you went on a decent rant. You got, you got to rant a little on this one. It's hard when I don't swear. Yeah, It's not as fun. <laughs> I don't, right. Did I swear once? I don't think so. You You did better than me then. Both shows. Yeah. Just saying. For another episode of Blood, Sweat, and Gear, guys, we'll see you soon. Thanks, everybody, on the live stream. YouTube can monetize me. <laughs> oh.